Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Catalyst. Uh, happy uh, uh, late, I guess it's belated Thanksgiving at this point, but happy Thanksgiving weekend. Uh, I hope you all had a good holiday celebration weekend. I was sick all week and I'm recovering a little bit, so that's why I'm not using a little headset mic because I still have a little bit of a cough and this is easier than that. Uh, so forgive me for that. But uh, yeah, so glad to be with you this morning. My name is JR, I'm the teaching pastor here. And as we're beginning this morning, we're going to be talking today about serving together. What does it mean to serve as a church? And, and so specifically at this time of the year, as we're rounding the corner past Thanksgiving and heading towards Advent and towards celebrating Christmas, there are all kinds of programs that, that get started up. Uh, like one, I don't know if you've heard of the one called Operation, Operation Christmas Child, uh, where uh, if you haven't heard of it before, uh, churches get together and they pack boxes full of all kinds of assorted things, everything from stuffed animals to really practical things like toothbrushes. And then they send them through Operation Christmas Child to kids in the developing world as Christmas gifts. That's uh, a really popular program in the United States. Last year alone, they packed over 9 million boxes to send overseas. Uh, also last year, there was a missionary pastor who works in Zambia who is in an area of churches, a lot of whom receive these boxes. And she wrote a blog post on her blog last year uh, because she learned a bunch of stuff basically by listening to the other churches in her little area about what it's like on the other side of Operation Christmas Child. Uh, she found out when her husband came home from a, a, local, uh, like a local pastor's meeting that the pastors were all pretty furious at Operation Christmas Child because it turned out that their churches had to raise the equivalent of about $4,000 US to get the boxes out of customs. And they said, we just like, our churches can't afford to do that. And all these kids are ex you know, expecting these boxes. And so it's, it's, it's kind of turning into something that's actually hurting us more than it's helping us. And then in this blog post, this pastor who lives in Zambia went on to explain that it's, it's not just uh, that they have to pay to get the boxes out of customs. It's, it's actually even the cost of the boxes themselves. Uh, these Christmas boxes cost about $30 a piece. If, if, if you pack one, you have to pay about $30 for all the stuff that goes in the boxes. And again, things like toothbrushes, the, the price of one toothbrush in America will buy about 30 toothbrushes in Zambia. And $30 in Zambia will do several things. One, it will feed a family of five for four months. $30 in Zambia will buy two breeding goats for a family, and $30 in Zambia will pay for six kids to have uniforms and to go to school for an entire year. Now, they also found that no one had been consulting these families. No one had set these families down and said, hey, would you rather have a $30 box of assorted American goods, or would you rather send all of your kids to school for a year? It's not hard to guess what they would choose if they had been asked, right? And so this, this blog post went all over the place. I mean, especially in pastor circles, pastors were sharing it around, and they were saying, we don't know what to do about this. Because when, when you really see what happens on the ground, it starts raising some big questions about how we serve, about the things that we do when we serve, and, and then also why we serve. Why are we doing the things that we're doing? Are we doing them because they're really doing the most good, or are we doing them because they make us feel good, right? I mean, it, it makes us feel better to pack a box and get a little picture with it than it does to just send $30 to a church in Zambia. But 
just sending them $30 actually probably does more good overall. So, so it just it made it really tricky. It made it really complicated for people who wanted to serve. So today we're going to be talking about serving. We're, ta- we're going to be talking about how we serve as a church, uh, what serving in the future here at Catalyst is going to look like. And uh, what we're going to find is that we, if we begin by listening for where God is already at work and then following God and joining in, we'll have a pathway to greater service uh, than if we kind of just do what we think feels good for us. And so we're going to begin this morning by worshiping together, by celebrating this God who is already out and at work in the wonderful world around us, this God who is calling us and inviting us into life. Will you stand as we begin singing together and giving thanks together? Uh, Today is the last Sunday in our Catalyst Together series, and it's, it's the last Sunday of the church year. Uh, Advent starts next Sunday, if you're, if you're not aware of that. So we're going to have the wreath and the, ca- uh, the candles and all that. We're gonna, it's going to be great. Uh, but but the, the church actually begins its year with the first Sunday of Advent. We don't do uh, January 1st. We do the first Sunday of Advent. And so that means this is the last Sunday of the year. This last four Sundays have been the last four Sundays of the year. And we use the last four Sundays of the year to look back at who we've been as a church and, more importantly, where God is calling us next. Uh, So for this series, we've been focusing on four big ideas that we believe uh, God is calling us to next as a church. Four big ideas that are shaping uh, where we're going next. Not just who we've been, but who we're going to be, who we're becoming, who God's calling us to. So we started with the idea of friendship. We looked at what it means to be friends, and we saw that, that friendship is the heart of Jesus' good news. That actually the reason Jesus died for us was so that we could regain a relationship with God. We could become friends with God again. And we, we looked at what it means when Jesus said, I don't only call you servants, now I call you friends. And we asked, what does it mean that God calls us friends and that God made a way for us to be friends? And then what does that mean for us as a church? How do we become a place where it's really, really, really easy to make friends if friendship really is the heart of Jesus' good news? Uh, Then the week after that, we looked at the idea of diversity. We saw that diversity is not a trend or an interesting idea or something that is tertiary to our goals, but that that was the week, if you were here, we preached through the whole Bible, right? We started in Genesis and ended up in Revelation, and we saw that from the beginning to the end, diversity has been God's desire for the church, for humanity, that from beginning to end, God has desired one church that was united but not uniform, a church that was diverse, that had people from all walks of life, all races, all cultures that were united around basically just Jesus and that's it. And so we asked, what does it mean for us to pursue diversity as a congregation, to celebrate uh, the way God is manifest in cultures and uh, in all over the world, uh, all throughout time? What does that mean for us? And then last week, we looked at the idea of discipleship. We said, well, what kind of congregation are we becoming as we, as we try to follow Jesus? And the big takeaway from last week was that discipleship is not about knowing more things about God. It's not knowledge-based. Discipleship is relationship-based. And we saw that often for a lot of us, the scariest thing is allowing ourselves to be truly known and loved by God. But we asked, what does it mean to be a church where we take our interior lives really, really seriously, where we do the hard work of allowing God to love us and to transform us, right? Not just to learn new behaviors, but to be changed from the inside out. What does it look like for us as a church as we move forward? Uh, So today's the last big idea, and it's an idea that we're going to call pilgrim. Okay, now, it's not actually about Thanksgiving. 
I didn't plan it that way, and it didn't occur to me, because I'm a little dense, until like Wednesday. I was like, oh, wait a second. We're talking about pilgrims the Sunday after Thanksgiving. I wish I had planned it, because that would have made me look brilliant, but I didn't, okay? Uh, so, so we're talking about the idea of a pilgrim or going on a pilgrimage, and uh, we're, what we're really talking about when we talk about that is the idea of service, okay? We're going to get there, um, but when we, when we look at our church, we're asking, uh, how do we be a church that serves, okay? And, and, I, and we're going to get to how pilgrims tie into that in, in a little bit. But first of all, a lot, a lot of times when we serve as a church, not, not just we catalysts, but I think when Christians serve, uh, we do one of two things that ends up making service uh, not as good as it could be. Uh, one is we serve in ways that feel good, but don't actually do a lot of good. Uh, which is kind of what we were talking about at the beginning with the, the, the Operation Christmas Child boxes, right? Uh, they feel good for us, but they don't, they don't necessarily always do a lot of good in the world, or they don't do as much good as they could be doing. Uh, the other thing that we do, though, is, is we serve in a way that's really ends up being really uh, paternalistic, right? We, we approach it with this idea that I have something, and, and they need it. So, like, I have money, and they need money, or I have goods and they need the goods, or I have abilities and they need those abilities, or I have Jesus and they need Jesus, and so I'm going, I'm going to like ride in on my white horse and save them, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the good stuff to the people that need it, and so it ends up, it ends up being a one-way relationship, okay? It, it, it's like a boss to an employee or a parent to a child, right? But it's, it's really paternalistic, and uh, a lot of, in, in like missiology, which is a fancy way of saying people who study how the church serves, right, how the church does missions, uh, they call it a savior model, right? That I'm gonna, I'm gonna go in and save those people. And again, there's this assumption that I have the truth and they need it, right? That, and, and so it puts me on a pedestal above them. And I end up looking down my nose at them. And I end up thinking in terms of us and them. The problem is that's not what we see in the scriptures. That's not how serving works when we go out. And so we're going to have, this is a super fun story today. Uh, if, you have a, if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn with me over to Acts chapter 10. Uh, if, you didn't, if you don't have a Bible and you grab one of those free Bibles out of the back, this is on page 661 of that Bible. And please keep that Bible. Consider it a gift from us. Uh, we'd love for you to keep it. Uh, so as you're turning or clicking on your smart devices over to Acts chapter 10, uh, Acts is the story of the early church. So right at the beginning of the book of, the, of Acts, Jesus ascends to the throne of heaven and leads the disciples. Uh, and he says, don't worry, I'm sending someone to be with you. And so the Holy Spirit comes to be with them. And then the, next, the, the rest of the book of Acts is essentially the church figuring out how do we be the people of God in the world around us with, with Jesus gone. Right? What does it mean to follow Jesus in this strange new world post-resurrection when we have the power of the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead living within us and empowering us to do ministry? How, what, what do we do? Right? And so for the first part of the book of Acts, we're following the apostle Peter, who's the same Peter that uh, Jesus recruited as one of the original 12. Right? The same Peter that walked on water. That Peter. Right? Peter. Uh, he's, and, and he's going around telling everyone that he can about Jesus. But early in the book of Acts, it's pretty much just Jewish people, right? Which is the people that are ethnically descended from Abraham. And for a Jewish person, the, Jews was, the, the world was divided into Jewish people and Gentile people. Gentiles were ethnically everyone else, 
right? So it was literally us and them. It was us, like my family, and then who cares else? That was, that was the way it was set up. And so initially, Peter and all of the other uh, followers of Jesus were just sharing the good news about Jesus' resurrection with the other Jewish people, which, which sort of made sense because they were the chosen people and it was their Bible. And I mean, it was all, all kind of interior inner, anyway, right? But around this time in the book of Acts, they're starting to get an inkling that maybe God has a bigger plan, right? That maybe the Gentiles are supposed to hear this good news about Jesus too. And they're just not really sure how that's supposed to work, right? Uh, but one thing they are pretty sure about is if the Gentiles are going to hear, they've got to go tell them, right? Because we, the Jews, have Jesus, and they, the Gentiles, don't. So if they're going to get Jesus, we've got to go take Jesus to them. It's, it's, it's the Savior model, right? So we're going to read what happens in Acts chapter 10. Uh, and, and right away, it's sort of breaking our brains a little bit, because Peter is not sent by God as much as he's summoned by a Gentile. A Roman centurion named Cornelius uh, sends word. He's like, hey, could we get Peter? Like, yeah, that Peter. Could we, we have some questions. Could you send him to us? So Peter, a good Jewish man who's telling all these other Jews about Jesus, right, is contacted by one of them and, and is told, hey, we have some questions about God. Can you come and talk to us? So here's what happens. We're going to begin in verse 24. So Peter shows up, and he's like, hey, I'm here. What did you want? And Cornelius replied, four days ago, I was praying in my house about this same time, 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Suddenly, a man in dazzling clothes was standing in front of me. And he told me, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your gifts to the poor have been noticed by God. Now send messengers to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter. He is staying in the home of Simon a Tanner, who lives near the seashore. So, I sent for you at once, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here waiting before God to hear the message the Lord has given you. Then P Peter, um, I just need to warn you, he's not, um, he's not smooth, okay? And he's not what we would call uh, culturally sensitive. I guess that's a nice way to say it, okay? So, just a heads up. Then Peter says, replied, I, I see clearly that God shows no favoritism. Sounds good so far. But Peter says, in every nation, uh, God accepts those who fear him and do what is right. This is the message of good news for which the people of Israel, that there is peace with God through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee, after John began preaching his message of baptism. And you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, the Holy Spirit, with power. And then Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we apostles are witness of all he did throughout Judea and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a cross, and God raised him to life on the third day. Then God allowed him to appear, not to the general public, but to us whom God chose in advance to be his witnesses. We were those who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead and after he ordered us to preach everywhere and to testify that Jesus is the one appointed by God to be the judge of all, the living and the dead. He is the one all the prophets testified about, saying that everyone who believes in him will have their sins forgiven through his name. Now, if you're thinking to yourself, it sounds like Jesus, uh, that Peter is just sort of like reciting the gospels. Well, he is, right? That's what he's doing. Cornelius said, hey, what is, this, what is this good news that God has entrusted you with? And then Peter's basically saying, well, 
one time I met this guy named Jesus, and we started following him around, and it turned out he was the son of God, and then he died for us, and it was great, you know, he's going through the whole thing. He's, he's sharing the good news of Jesus with these Gentiles, this thing that Peter thought was only for the Jews, right? He's sharing it now with Cornelius. Even as Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who were listening to the message. The Jewish believers who came with Peter were amazed that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles too because they thought only Jews got it. Right? And then again, all of a sudden, all these Gentiles, once they hear the good news, they got the same Holy Spirit that the Jews got, the same Holy Spirit that had raised Jesus from the dead, and they started uh, speaking in tongues and praising God, the same thing that happened to, the, to all of these guys on Pentecost. They're saying, look, th we thought it was us and them, but I guess it's just us, right? There's no difference. We thought it was Jews and Gentiles, but the Gentiles, once they heard the good news, the same thing is happening to them that happened to us. And so then this is Peter, you know, he's slow, but he gets there. Then Peter asked, can anyone object to their being baptized? Now that they have received the Holy Spirit just as we did, again, baptism is supposed to just be for Jews. But Peter says, well, what are we supposed to do? God already baptized them with the Holy Spirit. So I guess we should go ahead and baptize them with water, right? So he gave orders for them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. This is such a fun story. It initially, initially it sounds sort of just like a typical missionary story, right? Someone who knew about Jesus went to people who didn't know about Jesus. They told them about Jesus. Those people who didn't know about Jesus, once they knew about Jesus, believed in Jesus, and so they got baptized. I mean, that's, that's like ideal missions practice, right? But again, when you back up in the story, it, it gets a little more complicated than that because Peter is not the first one who arrived among the Gentiles to tell them about the work of God. God was already there when Peter showed up. God was already at work in Cornelius. I mean, again, Cornelius got an angelic visitor, right? God said, Cornelius, I know that you don't really have very good theology, but we heard your prayers, and so we're going to give you some instructions. You need to call a guy named Peter. And so this is, this is the wild part to me. God used Peter to call Cornelius to faith in Jesus, right? That's the easy part of the story. But God used Cornelius to call Peter to call Cornelius to faith in Jesus, right? That's, the, that's where it starts to hurt your head a little bit. You're like, wait, 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 right? Cornelius called Peter, and Peter called Cornelius. And this is not only a story about Cornelius' faith, getting bigger, about his picture of God expanding. It is that, but it's also about Peter's picture of God getting bigger and better, right? Because Peter had this pretty small picture of God that it was just for the Jews. And in this whole experience, uh, which I wish we had time to go through all of Acts 8 through 10, because there's this whole bigger thing happening with Peter here where, where Peter is having a conversion experience. Peter is realizing that this Jesus thing is way bigger than just the Jewish people, that it's actually for, for everyone in the world. And he learned that through Cornelius, the person that God sent him to witness to. 
So this is not a one-way relationship. This is a mutual relationship. Unquestionably, Cornelius needed Peter. But Peter needed Cornelius too. The Peter who emerges from the other side of Acts chapter 10 is a different Peter. His faith is bigger, it's bolder. And it actually puts him into conflict with the people back in Jerusalem. When he comes back to Jerusalem, he's like, okay, you all are not going to believe. And he tells them the story, and they're like, you're right, we don't believe it. Right? They can't handle this idea that, that, God, that Peter learned something about God when he left. But he did. This is the heart of Christian service. Okay? Not, we have to take God into the world. That's not Christian service. Christian service is the world belongs to God and the spirit of God is already living and active everywhere in the world. And we have to listen for where God is calling us to get involved and follow God there. But we're not, we're not going to like fix or change or affect, right? We're going as Students, we're going to learn. We're going to meet God in a way that we could have never met God before. And will God use us in powerful ways? Yeah, of course. Right? We talk about diversity at Catalyst. We're talking about what happens when we all get together and what God is doing among us as we gather from all points of the compass, right? All together in all of our differences. What God is doing among us as a body we're talking about discipleship, we're talking about what God is doing within us, right? What, it, what, is, what is the interior of our life as we are transformed into the image of Jesus? We're talking about being a pilgrim. We're talking about what is God doing out there, everywhere else in the world? What can we only learn about God when we leave? Okay? Not that God's not doing stuff here and here. Of course God is. Right? But God's not only doing stuff here and here. God is bigger than me, and God is bigger than you, and God is bigger than Catalyst. And so if we want to know God more deeply and more fully, that means we have to go other places too. We have to go to other peoples, go to other places in the world. Because God is, God is known differently in those other places. Right? And so just like Peter got this bigger faith, this bigger understanding of who God is and this deeper knowledge of Jesus when he went. That's what we, that's what we need to do. So that's, that's, why, that's why we're calling it a pilgrim model. Uh, pilgrimages, historically in the church, have been when people leave where they are to meet God in a different way somewhere else. Right? That's what, that's what a pilgrimage is. And so that's what, when we look at serving at Catalyst, we want to serve as pilgrims. We want to serve because we know that God is at work elsewhere outside of our own experience, and we want to learn to meet God elsewhere. So, what is serving as pilgrims going to look like at Catalyst? Well, again, we're not to the planning and implementing stages yet, but I have a few ideas and a few thoughts. Uh, first of all, it means we're going to be praying a lot about how we're serving, where we're serving, who we're serving, because pilgrimage serving begins by listening to the Spirit. And so if we are not regularly listening to the Spirit then we're not serving as pilgrims. We're missing how God is calling us to go and where God is calling us to go and to whom God is calling us to go. So we have to be in regular prayer, specifically about our service. Uh, second, 
we uh, have to be careful about uh, getting complacent or, or getting accommodating. Uh, so uh, many of you who've been around cattle for a while, you know we have these bounce houses. And uh, we, we used to love, we had multiple events every year where we'd set them up for the city. The city would do an Easter egg hunt or uh, different kinds of stuff. We'd, we'd go set them up and run them for the city and provide them as a, a service to the city. And it was, a, it was a great easy way for us to serve, show our love for the city. We did a trunk or treat with Chick-fil-A where we'd set them up there and help out Chick-fil-A and all that. Well, you know, the city ended up buying their own bounce houses and staffing them with their own volunteers. And then we outgrew the, tr uh, the Chick-fil-A trunk or treat. It, it got too busy on that road. And so we've had to come up with new serving ideas. That's what's going to happen, right? Uh, just because we find a good way to serve doesn't mean that that's the way that we're always going to be able to serve. Uh, as we continue to grow and change and to evolve, so are the ways that we serve. Uh, we, we can't get complacent and think that just because we did something one way one time, we're going to be able to continue to do it. Um, so that's one of the things that we've got to keep in, in the front of our heads. We've also got to keep in mind that we, ha we cannot sacrifice doing what is right for doing what feels good. Uh, those of you who were here three years ago when the tornado hit, you know that after the tornado hit, every church in town became a collection drop-off point because none of us could really do anything, but everyone wanted to do something because they wanted to feel better about the fact that we just got hit by a tornado. And so all the churches were like, well, here, come drop off clothes. And so these big lists started getting circulated of all the churches where you could go and drop off clothes, and, and Catalyst's name was not on that list because we've never been uh, a clothing store, a clothing thrift store. We've never run that ministry out of our church because we partner with Life Message. Life Message does that in town. And so we said, hey, anyone who wants to volunteer, please go down to Life Message. They could use your help. And so a lot of our Catalyst folks went down and volunteered a Life Message, but many of us... It really hurt when our name wasn't on that list. It didn't feel very good than the list of churches where you could go drop off all your stuff was being circulated that our church wasn't there. And I had multiple people call me and say, Pastor, we just really wish our name was on that list. And I was like, I wish our name was on that list too, but that's not what we do at Catalyst. We're going to go to Life Message. Well, after like, I don't know, three or four days, uh, when all those churches got full of donations, they took them to Life Message. And Life Message was like, we have too many donations. We actually can't get them to the people that need them because we have giant piles of clothes and we don't know. Uh, I mean, some of them were like dirty. I think people just like emptied their laundry baskets. I'm not really sure, right? But they, they needed to be sorted and Life Message didn't have the staff except that Catalyst people were already there helping them and sorting them. And so we stuck to, we stuck to our guns. We stuck to our DNA. We did what was right, not what felt good. And we ended up making a big difference for our community. Not in a way that got us a lot of praise and acclaim, but in a way that actually put those donations in the hands of the people that needed them. And we've got to keep committed to doing that as a church. Not chasing the things that make us feel good, but chasing the things that actually do good. And that's a harder thing to do. Uh, another one is we have to resist institutionalism. I think it's easy at a church to hope that the church is going to plan all the projects, right? That the, the, the building, the institution is going to do the service stuff. But the truth is you and I are catalyst, right? And so when you and I serve, catalyst serves. And, and we, we, we just can't wait for the church to plan things and, and expect that we're not going to serve until we do that. We just have to be people who serve, right? And, and we have to stay committed to doing that. Uh, and finally, you know, as we've never done uh, any kind of, I, I was going to call it foreign, but I think I want to say non-local missions at Catalyst, right? We've never done, like, mission trips. 
And part of that's because uh, it's really hard to find good ways to do that, ways that are really affirming, ways that really do more good than they do more harm, ways that are truly partnerships and not just projects. And so we haven't done that, but we want to. That's something that we want to see happen is we want to develop something. And so we are praying, and I want to invite you to pray with us about what it would look like for us to develop and cultivate a partnership or partnerships with other organizations that are outside of probably Texas at least, right? Other places in the world, other places in the country, whatever. We don't know yet, right? We're waiting for that Cornelius who says, uh, hey, God said that you should come here, right? <laughs> waiting for, we're waiting, but we want to know, where can we develop some true, genuine partnerships so that our serving will be a pilgrimage model, so that we can be learning even as we're sharing, and it becomes a mutual, loving, interconnected relationship. That's, that's our heart, and that's our hope. We don't know what that looks like yet. But again, we're going to commit ourselves to prayer, and we're going to stick to doing things that, are, that do good, that don't just feel good. And we're going to trust that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is still at work in the world around us, calling us to be that church that serves as pilgrims. This series has been all about, at its heart, relationships, right? Uh, our diversity is how we can be unified but not uniform, loved for who we are, not for who we're pretending to be. Our discipleship has been all about God learning to let God love us for who we are and transform us and genuinely change us. And our, our service is about relationship. We don't want to develop dependencies or projects or um, non-mutual serving relationships. We want to be in serving relationships that are truly, genuinely mutual, that invite us into relationship with the people that we're serving so that they can serve us as well, so that it becomes this beautiful mutual dance. All of those at their heart invite us again and again and again back to the relational core of who God is. When we relate well with each other, we're relating well with God. First John says it, we love when God loves us first. Right? And so I want to invite you to the communion table today because everything we do is about reaffirming our relationships together. The relationships that are made possible because God has made us his friends. So when we come to this table, we're sharing the table that Jesus shared with his followers the night before he was killed. At that table, he broke bread and he offered it to them said, this is my body, it's broken for you. Take it and eat it. Later in that same meal, he took a cup of wine and passed it to them, and he said, this is my blood. It's poured out for the forgiveness of sin. Take it and drink it. When we come to the table, we come to receive Jesus' life. We come to receive the sacrifice that he made for us. We come to be made into one people together. Jesus sends us from this table, knowing him, loving him, knowing one another, being bound as one body together to be his body in the world. Now, you don't need to be a member of Catalyst to receive communion with us today. If you're someone who is willing to listen for God's call, whether that's coming from a Cornelius or whether that's coming from a Peter, then you're welcome to come to the table with us this morning. Uh, before we approach the table, I'm going to lead you in a prayer exercise. Uh, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions uh, that help you to reflect on how God might even now be speaking to you, how God might even now be calling you to know him deeper, to love him more deeply, uh, specifically through an act of service. 
after we've had a couple of minutes of reflective prayer, uh, then I'm going to pray for us all together. And as you're ready, you're welcome to approach the table this morning. Uh, so you, you don't have to bow your head and close your eyes. You can, whatever prayer posture is comfortable for you. But here's the, here's the first question I want you to consider. Think back over the last couple of weeks. Has there been a time when you know that you heard God's voice calling you clearly? Now consider, in the, in the last couple of weeks, has, has there been a time that you have ignored God's call? A time that you knew that there was something that God was calling you to do, and you didn't do it? As you think about the week ahead of you, uh, what does your yes to God look like this week?
Let's pray together. God, thank you for the story uh, this morning of your servant Peter and your servant Cornelius. Thank you for gathering us that we might remember that there is no us or them. There is only your children, your creations, and that you use all of us to call each other into a deeper faith, to know you better as we know each other better. As we consider what serving looks like here within the walls of Catalyst among the church family, in our own community in Rowlett where you have planted us and called us, and in the world that you love and that you're working to redeem, we ask that you would uh, open our ears to hear the voice of your spirit, whether you're speaking within us, speaking as we are gathered to worship, or speaking through the Corneliuses in our lives. May we hear clearly your call, that we would know how you are calling us to know you deeper as we love your world better. We approach the table this morning to receive these wafers and this juice, and we pray that they become a spiritual food. We pray that as we receive them, we would receive your love and be bound together ever more tightly as your body. Send us from this place into your world to love the world that you love, the way that you love. We offer these prayers and we approach your table this morning in the name of your son, Jesus. I just wanted to remind you that when you're going into the world, you're going with the, the power of the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. And it's the same spirit that spoke to Cornelius and, and invited him to invite Peter. Uh, that same spirit is calling you and speaking to you, calling us and speaking to us. Uh, if you will listen, if you will be ready to respond, you will be amazed at what the Spirit will do with your yes. So would you go as pilgrims knowing that God is speaking everywhere and every place you go, every person you meet is a chance to know God better and know God deeper. Go in the grace and peace of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We'll see you next week for the first Sunday of Advent.